but in reality, most often when we're complaining about stuff that we perceive to be happening in the world and in our society, the, the they is a placeholder for not understanding the mechanisms for any of these things happening. Totally. And I actually, in reality, there probably is no they in most of these situations. Right. Right? There is no cabal. There's no reptile people. That's what You're it right. is, is uh, I think a lot of people that say they picture like one organized coalition. Right. And it's not that. It's just disparate people who like individually understand right. that, uh, you know, you either get fucked or you do the fucking and they're like, I'd rather do the fucking yeah absolutely and then they f- see and then when you when you're like living that life then you f- can tell who the other people that are operating on that level are and then you begin to like not organize but just like connect and then it right. becomes that system it's like the it's like the dark mycelial network you know what i mean right right it's fucked up the yeah they. so i mean essentially essentially they is mushrooms mm-hmm. And Olivia Rodrigo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we've... Okay, cool. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, wait, wait a second. Whoa, 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 dude. That's us. Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. The only podcast on the internet where we try and uncover the truth of the universe, one Wikipedia article at a time. I'm joined today, as always, by the jovial, the jolly, the gigantic, (laughs) in in mental space, not physically, uh, Alex Virgil. Wow, thank you. Thank you. A towering figure. It's okay. I'm feeling good about my body right now, so um, didn't even didn't even bother me at all. I'll definitely get over it in an hour or two. <laughs> um, and of course, I am joined by my uh, big br- brotherly uh, ba- baby, not baby, but baby. You know, baby. Okay, good. Um, John Nicholas. Hey, thank you. Woo. Uh, and this podcast is produced by uh, our lovely friend yes. and NSA, NSA informant, Emmy Sack, yeah. uh, who can't join us on on the mic this week, um, but is with us here in spirit and is watching very carefully in case she needs to cut either of our mics. That's right. That's right. Um, she's she's quote unquote at a wedding, but yeah, we know it's a clandestine operation. Yeah. But that's okay. It's okay. Uh, how are we doing, Verge? How is it going? Um, I had a good... Per- personally, I had a good week. Um, a lot of fulfilling work done and stuff like that. Um, I think um, Caitlyn Jenner is absolutely going off the deep end. That's a thing. I had a bit of a <laughs> moment of panic. I don't think she she's you know going to even sniff even more than 10% of any sort of votes yeah. for anything. You know, she couldn't be elected dog catcher of Malibu. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have kind of a moment of, like, a pang of anxiety knowing 
that we're just going to deal with celebrity politicians for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Like, in the system as it stands right now, like, celebrity... I mean, Andrew Yang is going to be the mayor of New York. Yeah. That's an inevitability. Uh, And, you know, The Rock is probably going to be president in 2028. That could be worse. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I want it. Yeah. It's, uh, It's definitely, I think just going to be a part of like the the yeah the decadent and depraved 21st century american culture yeah you know it might you know it might just be a flash in the uh pan you know just a quick uh because because i think we're gonna get tired of it real quick yeah but they did say that about superhero movies and here i am still watching those yeah you are <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think, I think that we would need like a pretty major like social shift. Yeah. Uh, it, it does strike me that we are like in kind of like the late, the late century Roman mm-hmm. empire era of our, you know, little mm-hmm. society. And maybe there's going to be some sort of like complete washing over, like culturally, that's like going to just totally like, Dude. you know, flood everything yeah. and change the current. I hope so. We oh, might cool. have like a generation of like kids who grew up in a pandemic and post pandemic era where they, they like as a generation all adopt like monkish, monastic culture of yeah. like aesthetics. We completely eschew aesthetic entirely. Like yeah. center part, side part, you are you kidding? <laughs> we don't do hair at all. No yeah, aesthetics. We, they all shave their head. Yeah, that might be a thing. And then yeah, we'll get I mean, a bunch of boring nerdy politicians. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'll take that. Take that to the bank. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I mean, we'll see. It's uh, it's it's good. It's good. The scary thing from where we're where we're headed right the now. The scary thing for me with Caitlyn Jenner was um was uh because I I saw some something about Caitlyn Jenner running and I immediately just wrote it off. I was just like there's no fucking chance. And then I had a flashback to thinking that like in what 2015, late 2015. Right, yeah. Being like, there's plenty, there's no fucking chance. Like, whatever. And, um, you know, the last five years happened, so. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna, it's all gonna get funkier before it gets any better. Yeah. And I don't really know what better is. Right, right, right. You know, it's like, I don't really have an idea for that, but. You know, it's weird. It's all really fucked up, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Um,. Dear listeners, uh, we should let you know, just ahead of this, um, I'm going to be on vacation next week, mm-hmm. uh, and so, at least right now, the very beginning of this recording session, we are going to attempt to go two episodes deep in recording. We will see how it goes. Uh, we're starting kind of, you know, like, we're, we're dipping our toe into the pool. We're not trying to come just like absolute blazing no, no, no. out of the, you know, out of the gates here. Uh, just know that two weeks from now, or no, at the time of listening to this episode, one week, um, 
you will be listening to this same recording session. Yeah. But two br- completely brand new wiki holes um, and a new introductory subject. So uh, just just a little full disclosure mm-hmm. so you know kind of the marathon that we're attempting tonight and, um, you know, can respect the hustle a bit. Yeah. And hopefully it hopefully it kind of opens up new cracks. That's what I'm That thinking. we see the world. We get a little loopy towards the end and we're just like talking about like, I don't know. I the, I have every intention to we be, already do that, but, to be loopy you know. by the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because my first wiki hole is gonna be like a pretty normal mm-hmm. whatever, but with a little hint of some with the inception of loopiness, and yeah. then we're going full into it on the second one. Yeah, so. yeah, I feel that. I think that's how we're doing doing on my end too. Um, Virch, you got any unfinished business? I um don't have unfinished business mostly because i didn't really have time to think about what we talked about last time too much this week yeah um what did we talk about last week we talked about um chris angel <laughs> we talked about um haven't been nudism. To yeah. Oh, yeah and we talked about talked about language um the inherently funny words oh yeah yeah the language stuff is just like overarching stuff i'm always thinking about um, I think that we're we're probably gonna end up gonna have a guest episode. I would imagine, yeah. where someone's gonna want to go deeper on linguistics, yeah. um, you know, and language stuff. So I think I think guess. that we can we we're very. I mean, in a in a show that is a celebration of amateurism, our understanding and conceptualization of language and linguistics is very particularly amateur. Oh yeah. Oh totally. Oh, um, totally, totally. I I have a couple things. Okay, um, please, yeah. I I did want to follow up um, on Sval talk. Uh, <laughs> yes, because, because that woman that you saw the TikTok of, I found her TikTok account, and it is only mm-hmm. Sval talk. I don't know if that's what you were saying last time. There's more than one video of her in Svalbard. Did you? Oh were you hell aware yeah. of this? No, I okay, wasn't. Yeah, I had I had that TikTok sent to me, so and I don't know how to use TikTok. It's yeah, I well, and she has an Instagram page too. Her name is Cecilia, but it's spelled like S E J I. I don't know. It's spelled weird. Um, what? But it's she has all of these videos about you know um, during the midnight sun and during the two months of of darkness her life seems crazy just absolutely crazy so uh would definitely suggest a follow uh let's see let's see if i can find it listener that's my tiktok opening yeah that's one that's the one celia blom we'll put it in the we'll put it in the show notes but um she's got a million followers yeah she's got a lot of followers yeah and all she does is talk about Svalbard. So oh, people have been on Svaltalk. Yeah, people have been all about Svaltalk. We oh, just man, we're, we're late. Behind, we're late dude. to the party. Um, the other unfinished business I wanted to talk about uh, is that last week was oh, yeah. Eurovision. Hilarious! Um, I mean, oh, oh, this is oh, I wish I'd prepared more Eurovision stuff because there were some. Bangs. So okay, here I wanted to I wanted to talk about it because. Again, when I brought it up the last time, mm-hmm. 
I knew like nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched like a like the top ten performances. I didn't watch the entire feed. I just like and I don't think I even watched yeah, yeah. the whole no every I single have... you know. Um, it is aggressively not for me. Eurovision, the show. I found it. Um, oh, just like the performances. The show. Yeah, the performances. Hated it. I hated it. I never really. I would only really watch again for, for the sake of having had talked about it on the show. But like, I thought that the the right. winner sucked, sucked, sucked. <laughs> bad. Just all bad. You know. So yeah. I, I don't know what to make of that. I'm. I kind of knew going in that Eurovision probably not my cup of tea. No. Um. But was proven very right in that regard that's for sure yeah which is um i think the i think a lot of listeners don't realize that i completely agree with you on this (laughs) (laughs) this is kind of akin to like when i talk about a lot of art that i like where it's like i don't even know if it's tongue-in-cheek or if i genuinely like it but right, Eurovision's right. definitely on the side where it's like, no, no, no. It's it, it mostly. I would not really want to be there. Yeah. It mostly yeah. is ridiculous. It seemed bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed very bad. Uh, but people seem to love it. It's a thing. A lot of fans. It's like watching That's curling. Crazy. It's like you only get hype on the fact that you're actually hilariously getting too hype up for currently right i just think that when you take um like it seems like that kind of competition or contest on a like a multinational scale that involves like some semblance of like diplomacy Mm -hmm. you you basically eliminate like one of the the strongest emotions that you can have with art Mm. which is like sadness Mm -hmm. like i feel like so much of of eurovision is this like kitschy like everything's great like kind of harmony and peace kind of thing Mm -hmm. and there's just like if you eliminate all suffering out of art like it's trash Mm -hmm. it's it's gotta have it you know it's gotta have the yin and the yang like there's gotta be some some understanding of of the way the world works but you like you flatten it for Eurovision. Yeah, but it hits extra hard when when the UK finds out that they're the worst at that. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> that rocks. That, that was cool. So, yeah, for anybody that didn't see, Italy won this year, yeah. and the UK did not get a single vote from another nation. Yeah, zero. Uh, which you, you love to see. Yeah. You love to see. Shout out to all of our Northumbrian listeners. Yeah. Um, and anyone actively pushing for the uh disintegration of the united kingdom yep shout out to all those people kneecap fans fellow kneecap fans <laughs> yeah yeah that shit's um, funny as fuck yeah that shit goes but yeah that's that's all the unfinished business i got cool asphalt, more small talk and and your yeah. just good stuff fuck small talk i'm i'm like a little bit sad that we're like behind on it so far behind we're, yeah yeah not in the first million yeah i wonder if she would come on the show maybe <laughs> legitimately maybe maybe well 
we'll, we'll work on that. Yeah, yeah. We'll work on that. We'll have Emmy send that email out. Cool. Virch, you know what time it is? No, I have no idea what time it is. It is a nice throwback because we are going to do Ethnic Enclave of the uh, Week. Interesting. I That actually, the music fits. It's good. Okay, nice. Um, okay, so are you familiar with The Block in Sydney, Australia? Oh, in, no, not, no. I am not. Uh, so The Block in Sydney is a colloquial uh-huh. but universally applied name given to a residential block of social housing in the suburb of Redfern. Um, beginning in 1973, houses on this block were purchased over a period of 30 years by the Aboriginal Housing Company yeah. for use as a project in Aboriginal managed housing. Um, okay. And it says the block is probably the most famous feature of the suburb of Redfern. Uh, although it is located on the western border of that suburb, uh, the focus of life in the block has always been Evilly Street, which is its eastern border. Uh-huh. Uh, and the block is in the immediate vicinity of the Redfern Station. Um, and it's also been subject of like massive gentrification. But uh-huh. um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it is in 1965 couple people organized a freedom ride. Um, mm-hmm. So this was the exact same time as the American Civil Rights Movement. The, there were freedom rides in Australia for Aboriginal rights to, uh, nice. to be, you know, like a, a more of a focus. Um, and it, it kind of awakened mm-hmm. a, you know, like a activism in Aboriginal communities. Um, and... Mm-hmm. In the 1970s, there was a campaign to, you know, buy up this land and keep it specifically for Aboriginal Australians. Um, And it says, as a pioneering and still unique project in Aboriginal-run housing near the center of Australia's largest city, uh, it excites enormous emotions and moreover is viewed by the largely rural Indigenous population of New South Wales as a pied-a-terre mm-hmm. and spiritual home in australia's largest city um mm. so i had to look up pied-a-terre but pied-a-terre is like um it's, a, it's foot on the ground and it like is it, have you do you know that term um it's just like uh like big ass apartment buildings right well no it's like it's it's like a shorthand for like a french person who has a, a little space in the city so they ah. like live out in a chateau and they've like they got their little flat Oh, okay. And so, so for the Aboriginal community Uh that lives in mostly like rural New South Wales, this housing block in the city of Sydney, like very close into the inner city, is their pied-a-terre. Oh, I see. I see. Which I kind of love. Yeah, it's like a super interesting way of of putting it. Yeah. Um, it obviously, you know, as all fucking shit like this happens. It has a notorious reputation now for violence and crime mm-hmm. among non-Aboriginal people. Um, and unfortunately, in 2004, mm-hmm. part of it had to be raised because it had deteriorated into a slum. Mm-hmm. Um, but strangely, that's also the same year that there was a massive riot following the death of an Australian Aboriginal boy, mm-hmm. TJ Hickey. Hickey died after while on a bike 
he collided with a protruding gutter and was flung into the air and impaled. Oh, jeez. Um, he had been he had been followed by the police, and so it was like it was never really understood how that came to happen, but people assumed that oh. the police like chased him and like kind of forced him into that situation. Um, yeah, if he was even. He actually even hit a protruding gutter and f- was impaled by the force. Yes, exactly. Not you right. Know. Yeah, yeah. Who who actually knows, right? Right. Um. So yeah, I mean, I just found this really interesting. Um. I think I know very little mm-hmm. about the. I know very little of like the details of the colonial projects in particularly yeah. australia and canada but I, I mean from what the little that i understand is that they were ho- as horrifying if not even more horrifying than some of the things that happened to mm-hmm. um you know indigenous people that lived in the united states mm-hmm. uh and so i would love to know more it's it is kind of this interesting thing with australia where aboriginal people like almost are like this like they almost like haunt australia yeah. in a way Right, because they like they don't seem to have much agency as a community, mm-hmm. like on this. They're, they're just not a large enough population, mm-hmm. um, but they still exist. Like, you know, in America, there was I guess you know this is uh, dark, but like the decency to like put the communities out of their misery, basically, right. you know, in a lot of situations. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's, but I I love the like the. The conception of something like that, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously, I'm sure that there are issues with this um, housing project and housing block and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, it sounds like there is some sort of undercurrent of pride about it all, you know, as right. if it's like this is our land in the big city, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know. I, I don't have a ton beyond that. I think this probably could call for some some unfinished business in the future if we come across any no, more information I mean, about. I... I do think yeah. it is conceptually interesting always that um, there is some kind of a block in colonized countries that tend to house non non-white populations, and you know, if you ever thought that like the the black experience was unique to the U.S. and you can't, it's not, it's not the effect of some kind of larger like system of oppression like conceptual system of oppression then look at these other countries and see exactly how they're doing the exact same thing right and it has nothing to do with you know african americans at all in sydney it's aboriginal people and it's like obviously still tied to like race and like the systems of culture that fought over that land but like i mean you know right if you don't think colonization as a concept is an issue and see all these parallels in these different countries. Yeah, it, it, it is also, uh, it's almost reminds me of like the conversation we had about John Brown, mm-hmm. um, where it's like the people who did this are still in power, mm-hmm. you know, like the nation, the state that was responsible for, for doing something that, in retrospect, we think of as unjust, right. never was brought to term for that. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the Australian state that did those things to the Australian Aboriginals 
no matter how much they try to like pay reparations mm -hmm. is still allowed to exist in the capacity that it did when it did the unspeakable acts right. and mind you like the the suffering and the injustice is still happening mm -hmm. it's just happening in a different more kind of like um muddled yeah. state than it was before yeah. you know so I th that's that's good I th that's a great one i feel like i i've yeah, yeah. connected connected previously unconnected dots in my head about this concept kind of mm -hmm. um you know dis the concept that district nine was trying to teach us about with uh yeah with the prunes yes but, sir hey thank um, you yeah all right so um did you did you hear about the situation in belarus this week the air ryanair yeah yes the okay so uh for all those who didn't hear about it um essentially uh, essentially over like i guess mm, the last year at mm. least there's been pretty like widespread protests in um the eastern european state of belarus mm -hmm. um and now belarus is like kind of in between the baltic nations and russia yeah uh, it's sometimes called white russia <laughs> um and it's uh it's widely thought of uh, as europe's like last dictatorship mm. um so it's this guy alexander lukashenko uh who's been in power since 1994 essentially was like you know one of the kind of oligarch thugs yeah. that classic the, story in, yeah came in in like the downfall of the soviet union filled a power vacuum and has like never left um and he there was an yet another fraudulent election mm -hmm. um last year it was met with some some pretty serious protests mm -hmm. um and this week um a plane Ryanair, which is a, you know like the southwest of Europe, yeah, um, it was flying from uh, Athens, Greece, to Tallinn, Estonia, mm -hmm. um, and while it was over Belarusian airspace, a um, fighter jet from Belarus came and flew up beside it and said, "We highly recommend that you." Um, that you land in Minsk, the mm -hmm. capital of Belarus, because we think that there's a bomb on, on the plane. Um, falsely. False. Yeah. I mean, so, so essentially this is what is crazy about this story is that the, um, they said that there was a bomb that was meant for a conference that was happening in Greece that actually ended a week ago and also mind you most of the high level speakers and um you know uh mm -hmm. attendance of the conference were attending remotely so so and and then they also said it was a bomb planted by hamas the palestinian organization that was going to be uh they, they hamas was starting to blow up a bomb at this conference unless um the European Union stopped supporting Israel, uh, and and Belarus. <laughs> Belarus is stuff. on it. <laughs> yeah, Belarus is on it, and the the proof from Hamas of the bomb threat came in twenty four minutes after 
the fighter jet initially made contact with the Ryanair plane. Yeah, because the um, people so, at the control center were like, fuck, he said something about, oh, now we got to make up some. <laughs> yeah, no, so so essentially they, they, they practiced clairvoyance. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, Belarus is running on like a minority report style, um, can predict crimes before they even happen. <laughs> um, well, so. Or more realistically, a Yanucci style just scrambling. It's like. He fucking said the Hamas thing. We told him not to say the Hamas thing. We didn't make it. All right, well, now we have. There's just like one. It's like the one of the guys in the fighter jet is just this blockhead. And it's just like a complete thug. And it's like, um, there's a bomb in there. You know, it's from Hamas. Yeah. Uh, So they they essentially said that they were going to blow up this plane unless they landed. Right. So the Ryanair flight landed in Minsk, and in come two officials and pull out a um, Belarusian opposition leader who was on the flight going from Athens to Tallinn, Estonia. Pretty convenient. Total. That that is like the big, that is a nightmare to be flying to Estonia and then just being like, make it, make it out of Belarusian airspace. Just gotta get. It's just this tiny just piece gotta on get the out far of it, yeah. side, um, and so this guy like potentially faces like the death penalty Ugh. in Belarus, and is now you know in uh, Belarusian prison. Uh, they also noted that like a handful of people got off the plane too, mm-hmm. and because the plane was allowed to like leave to go to Tallinn, um, and a handful of people just got off. Presumably to either sightsee or they were, you know, spies on the plane that were watching this opposition leader the whole time. Like they had eyes on this guy the entire right. trip. Um, so, I mean, crazy story, right? I, yeah. I was immediately like, this is an insane story. Yeah. But it got me thinking because one of the things that I think is really interesting about Belarus, mm-hmm. like when you start reading about it and reading about this guy, Lukashenko. Um, and about some of the past like elections and referendums and stuff mm-hmm. is that they are all patently fraudulent. Mm. And I started thinking about the dynamics of um, electoral fraud, mm-hmm. like actual electoral fraud, not like Western countries like where the loser like says, you know, like what Trump is doing right. essentially. Um, but there are these not great, but like really interesting stories where the results are just ridiculous like completely and utterly false yeah they're so they're so egregiously false Mm -hmm. that it 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 is like how is this even allowed to happen yeah it's like Um, wait you're gonna release those numbers like that's yeah oh he won by a 10 to 1 margin and like you really want (laughs) to you're gonna boast about winning in a landslide that is clearly manufactured yeah so so i mean this is i'll give you an example this is the um the in 1995 Mm -hmm. immediately after lukashenko takes power they vote on a referendum it's called the 1995 belarusian referendum okay um a four-question referendum was held in belarus on may 14th 1995 Mm -hmm. um the four issues were the possibility of giving the Russian language equal status with Belarusian, whether new national symbols should be adopted, 
whether there should be economic integration with Russia and changes to the Constitution that would allow early elections if Parliament systematically violated the Constitution. Uh, according to the official results, all were approved by at least three quarters of the vote with a turnout of 64.8%. Um, and the, uh, according to, so the opposition questioned the validity of the 1995 referendum itself. Um, according to a former parliament member, the referendum was illegal and thus its results have no power. Um, according to the 1995 law on the national referendums, mm -hmm. the national symptoms and, and the official language are not allowed to be questioned on referendum at all. Um, there, there was like all these formality issues, uh, and it, it like essentially like cemented this guy in power forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just kind of wonder what it would be like to be in that moment, you know, like is, is, is a fraudulent democracy like why even hold the elections you know like what what is what are the dynamics of all this? right right is it, to, is it to assert power to say you know this is fucking fraudulent i know it's fraudulent you can't do anything about it yeah and look at I how powerful i am mm -hmm. or is it like i mean a lot of the stories that come out of belarus mm -hmm. it does sound like a armando yanucci kind of thing mm -hmm. where it's like okay maybe this guy is just like bananas and thinks that he's getting away with the things Right, in right. Way, in the way that he's getting away with them, I don't know. It's, it's with very strange, with those right? with those strongman guys. It's always a thin line between uh, whether like whether they think they're getting away with it or whether they know they're not, but they just know that they're in a position where people aren't going to fight them on it. You know what I mean? Right. Which is largely kind of like the uh, very similar things to like the white male patriarchy conversation here. Where it's just like you can't say no because they're gonna beat your ass, right? So people don't say no, so then they just act in these ways where like no one's gonna say no anyway. So does it even matter if people know that it's fraudulent or not? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I mean, so to add an, an even deeper layer mm -hmm. onto this whole like kind of complicated like, I think there's a lot of questions at hand, right? Right. Like one is like, what is true? Who is mm -hmm. who is saying something factually correct? Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of situations, it might be nobody. Um, the second is like why why cheat if you don't if you already have power in the first place? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the purpose of cheating? Right. Um, and then so like a similar situation to Belarus, like from the eyes of the international community, would be Venezuela, right? Mm -hmm. So Venezuela had a had an election in 2018, um, and the results are obviously challenged by essentially everyone in the international community except for uh, like Russia, Iran, China, and Bolivia mm. and Turkey. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, well, okay, do those countries all? not challenge each other's veracity of their elections because they understand that they have something to lose if election veracity is questioned or do they do it because they feel themselves to be like quote unquote the second world like cha mm. power challenging yeah you know the u.s and the western community yeah because 
in a situation like Venezuela, we love in the United States to talk about a lot of these Latin countries and say, oh, well, it, the election was fraudulent. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't actually win. But the reality is that, you know, the Cuban Communist Party, the um, Chavismo in Venezuela, mm-hmm. Evo Morales are incredibly popular mm-hmm. in their in their countries. Like, I am not convinced that Venezuela didn't have a free and fair election. Like, or I don't know what to make of it. All. Right, I right. Guess is well, because like we don't know what how people actually feel on the ground level. Right? right, and and we and we are we um, claim that Juan Guaido is the the true leader of Venezuela. Juan Guaido has never won an election in Venezuela. What makes him the fucking leader? He's a CIA fucking agent. Like, <laughs> why do we? What makes Juan Guaido more allowed to have power in Venezuela than Nicolas Maduro? Mm-hmm. Like, I I don't I don't know that that question can be answered in good faith you know by members of the u.s community the other thing about the interesting thing about the uh, venezuelan election is that that country is so left-wing like all of the opposition leaders are also socialists yeah yeah, yeah. so there's something to be said that it's like well if so clearly some of the issue that america has is like the politics of the country Mm -hmm. um and if america does actually act if they actually care about democracy around the world, then they would be pushing for like the main op- opposition leader rather than this fucking toolbox Juan Guaido, um, who everybody hates in Venezuela and is like doesn't have any support base. You know, it's it's you don't we don't do ourselves any favors when we're talking about electoral fraud around the world when we are not mm. acting in good faith. Uh, for the good of the people in our own right, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, that statement kind of goes for a it's lot like of different obvious. things. Yeah. yeah it's like... Uh, I just kind uh, of want to know how people yeah. down in Belarus feel about this guy. I think they hate him. I mean, I think Belarus... 80% in particular... 2020 election. He 80% no, for see, Lukashenko. It's like... It's insane. It's so ridiculous. You right? Like it yeah. just seems. And what does that? What does that mean necessarily? Right? Like what? It, it because there's a lot of different ways to commit to be corrupt. Yeah. Right. You can stuff the ballot boxes. You could intimidate people so that they think that if you you vote against, mm-hmm. you know, you essentially run the the government like you're the mafia. It sounds so to like, me like that's what it is. Right. And I think that part right. of that makes that tracks for that part of the world where militia, yeah. it's like, oh, here it is. When opposition protesters took to the streets in Minsk, many people, including most rival presidential candidates, were beaten and arrested by the state militia. Yeah, exactly. So at that point, it literally doesn't even matter what people think because he's just literally beaten his opposition. It's. The it's really interesting to um, like it's a pretty good lesson in sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Like we don't really have a ton of, and I and I don't really know who I'm saying when I say we, mm-hmm. um, because God knows, like we just said, like I don't trust the United States 
military apparatus to be acting in good faith around the world to like protect people's freedoms but belarus is this like you know territory in this part of the world that no one really cares to spend much time in anyway yeah and for example the the plane thing Mm -hmm. i read an article that it says that technically what they did was like legal you it's their it's their their sovereign it's their sovereign airspace they can tell a plane to land in their airspace uh if you know like credibly if they think it's a threat right or something you know like they they're allowed to do that i believe Um, it's legal yeah it's clearly fucking yeah wrong wrong. (laughs) a lot of this stuff is wrong uh that's where like that's where it's like the now we're opening a discussion about just like the laws of man and where where the line is drawn on that you know well it yeah what what gives a man the right to rule over another man right right like because this guy lukashenko i'm sure would assert belarus is a sovereign country Mm -hmm. they can run their government and their you know like they can behave however they want to behave in their own country mm-hmm. as long as they're following international law. Right. He won an election with 80% of the vote. Like, look at that. I'll show you the receipts. But we're talking, yeah, on a deeper level of like, what gives him the right, right. To, to organize himself on top of, you know, the Belarusian that's, people? That's the thing, because people, people like forget that laws are like really what laws should be are so they're social contracts that only mm-hmm. work when they're agreed upon you know mm-hmm. and if you never felt like you agreed or the other party doesn't even care if you agree or not then like yeah it's the contract is broken and it is just oppression at that point right they're threats laws are threats I, there's, there's, I mean, a lot of people that would assert that laws are just threats uh, of oppression on people yeah. on the in outgroups. Like laws are meant to be enforced on members of the outgroup mm-hmm. in a society, mm-hmm. and they're meant to protect people of an ingroup, mm-hmm. and that police are just an occupying force. Mm-hmm on you know like the oppressed or suffering people in a country that's that you'd like to think that that progressivism could get past that Mm -hmm. but i'm not entirely sure they could get past that on its own right especially Uh, not in this country or that we're ever capable of i mean yeah i mean not with the way that the u.s is is developed and created but i'm not entirely sure i mean cynically i'm not sure that it's that we're capable of flattening the hierarchy to right. eliminate in-groups and out-groups. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're, not, if we're not talking about race or gender, uh, we're talking about class. And if we're not talking about class, we'll invent some different thing that separates us from each other. Yeah, I mean, it's... That's not to say that, yeah. <clears throat> no, no. It's I mean, it's always like, if we're talking like how everything happens in waves and cycles, it's like all we can do is try and make the peaks and troughs of the next thing a little bit less crazy you know there's no way that in our lifetime we're gonna suddenly abolish entirely the idea of hierarchy though could be sick 
Yeah, I mean, it would be dope. Looking at you, Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, oh, actually, I have one more particularly fun instance of um, just, like, obvious electoral fraud. Uh, uh, I want to direct your attention to the 1927 Liberian general election. Oh, man. Um, okay. So, are you familiar with the background of Liberia at all? Not, I mean, not really, no. <laughs> to be honest. That's, the, that's the, the kind of question that I would ask my wife, and she would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, are you familiar with Liberia, the history of Liberia at all? So, like, The thing is, that Liberia, whole area is like, like I, know, I get the general trajectory of its history, but so Liberia is a super interesting mm-hmm. is a, is like particularly unique mm-hmm. because it's a country founded by former American slaves. So oh, was, oh that yes yeah it was uh, it was a, a you know African American slave freed slaves mm-hmm. who returned back to the country in like the eighteen seventies right. Um, and set up a state. So the like the politics and like kind of the culture of Liberia is very American influenced in the early part. I think it's kind of reverted at this point. Like mm-hmm. it's not as. Um, but that's like the history. And so general elections were held in Liberia in 1927. Okay. In the presidential election, the result was a victory for Charles D.B. King for the True Whig Party, oh. uh, who was reelected for a third term after defeating Thomas Faulkner of the People's Party. Uh, the elections were referred to as the most rigged ever by Francis Damn. Johnson Morris, a modern head of the country's National Elections Con- uh, Commission, hmm. and also made it into the Guinness Book of World Records is the most fraudulent election oh, ever reported. No, Liberia. Yeah. Is this uh, as despite there being fewer than fifteen thousand registered voters, uh, King received around two hundred and forty-three thousand votes compared to nine thousand for Faulkner. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome because theoretically, there's only fifteen thousand registered voters, so <laughs> yeah. like Faulkner would have won by. Like, you know, yeah, he would have gotten like 67% of the vote. Um, so Wait, yeah, crazy. Uh, the, the turnout was 16, 1680% of registered voters <laughs> came out to vote that time. Um, and so following the election, Faulkner accused members of the true Whig party, uh, of using slave labor at home and selling slaves to the Spanish colony oh of Bioco. Uh, uh, as well as involving the army in the process. Despite the government's denials and refusal to cooperate, the League of Nations established the International Commission of Inquiry into the existence of slavery and forced labor in the Republic of Liberia. Um, huh, the President great. Herbert Hoover suspended relationships uh, with Liberia in, uh, until they complied. Uh, and in 1930, the report was published, no, it could not substantiate charges of slavery and forced labor, it implicated government officials uh, in profiting from forced labor, which it equated to slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, King resigned under pressure from the House of Representatives, mm-hmm. and he succeeded by this guy, Edwin Barclay, uh, who still defeated Faulkner in the next election. 
Um, so, I don't know. It's interesting. I, it's a funny story. It's so ridiculous. Um, it kind of hit me when it was talking about the League of Nations. Yeah. Um, and it reminded me of Belarus in the sense that it's like... We've, I think we've had a few conversations on the show about on an individual or even like on a community level, the idea of like what we owe to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also this like larger kind of 20th century idea of statehood Mm -hmm. um, and what states owe to each other. Right. Like do we as Californians living in Southern California owe anything on a personal or political level to the people of Belarus and if so, what does that even mean? Like, how do we how do we define that? How do we dictate that? Right. What, what what does that lead to? Uh, and I don't really know. I mean, I don't have an answer besides the idea that I think that statehood mm-hmm. is a an early. I think we're going to look back on statehood, mm. like nationalism, as an early entry in the philosophy of sovereignty right. of freedom right and that eventually like a better system would be one like organized across the entire world mm-hmm. that starts from the individual up like bottom up sovereignty mm-hmm. rather than belarus is alexander lukashenko's and everyone it sits below him you know it's yeah. it's gotta we've got to flip that uh, but I don't, I don't know what that means or how to even go about getting there. I mean, Estonia seems to have something <laughs> yeah. going for it. The e, the, yeah, I like the, I like um, e citizenship. Cause, oh yeah, see that's so interesting. I mean, that's that shit where it's just like, no matter even what we come up with, it would take like decades of the experiment to even like begin producing any results, you know. Yeah, and and the and the early results are gonna suck. Yeah. No matter what we try and change towards, like the early results are not gonna be good. Yeah. You're gonna have plenty of people being like, "See, didn't you know this was gonna fail?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that doesn't make it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Yeah. But it's gonna suck for. I mean, it's always gonna suck. Yeah. Life sucks. <laughs> it is always gonna suck, and life does suck. That's so. Uh, that's so frustrating. <laughs> I guess, what can you do? What can you do? And not in a defeatist way. Just, what can you do? Do what you can. Just, what can you do? Yeah. Um, um, but, that's, fuck you Alexander know, Lukashenko. That's, yeah, fuck that guy. I mean, he sounds like he sucks. Yeah. Um, that's funny. And. It's a funny topic, though, because it does connect to mine a little bit. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. In a way that um didn't even expect. Um, all right. All right. All right. So we Let's just talked about some dictatorships. Yeah. Um, t- the, I'm going to introduce this topic. Okay. Today we are talking about Kurt Gödel. Kurt Friedrich Gödel, who was a logician, mathematician, and philosopher. Okay. Considered along with Aristotle and Gottlob Frege to be one of the most significant logicians in history. 
Wow. Gödel had an immense effect upon scientific and philosophical thinking in the 20th century, a time when others such as Bertrand Russell, Alfred mm. White, North Whitehead, and David Hilbert were using logic and set theory to... They were doing a lot of, you know, nerdy 19, early 20th century thinking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what was interesting is... Um, his most famous thing is like the incompleteness theorem. And this is supposed to, okay. John von Neumann Newman said, uh, Kurt Gödel's achievement in modern logic is singular and monumental. Indeed. It is more than a monument. It is a landmark, which will remain visible far in space and time. The subject of wow. logic has certainly completely changed its nature and possibilities with Gödel's achievement. So then I started trying to read that stuff, and I don't understand. No, nope, <laughs> not even a bit. Yeah, not even a little bit. I'm guessing that it's kind of, because it's like logic stuff, I'm guessing that it's something that we employ without thinking about right? in our everyday, right. but reading about it just makes absolutely no sense, which is so funny because it even says on the, it says on the Wikipedia, in hindsight, the basic idea at the heart of the incompleteness theorem is rather simple. Gödel essentially constructed a formula that claims that it is unprovable in a given formal system. If it were provable, it would be false. Thus, there will always be at least one true but unprovable statement. That is, for any computably enumerable set of axioms for arithmetic. So he's saying he he's saying he's saying the exact thing that we say on this podcast all the time is that we're wrong about everything. Is that what it is? Right. Okay. I think so. Wait. I kind of thought that's what. Read the first part again. Read the first part again. Okay. Gödel essentially constructed a formula that claims that it is unprovable in a given formal system. If it were provable, yeah. it would be false. So is he like? Yeah, I think is he, that what it is? I think he's. I th- I mean, I'm interpreting, mm-hmm. and I'm you know I'm very smart, so mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm interpreting that he's saying we are incapable of figuring out what it is all about you know <laughs> okay right like that, that i think really that's does like help the core. me understand it better like he's saying if you could f- figure it out it wouldn't be right okay that might be exactly why i didn't understand it one if a logical or axiomatic formal system is omega consistent uh it cannot be syntactically complete two the consistency of axioms cannot be proved within their own system so I think it is that. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> anyway, I just right, went, like what's Ooh. in? Oh, because there are there's a few terms in there. We might need to get more definition. Like, what is an an axiom? Is like a logical statement, right? It's like a logical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, a, a postulate, a statement I, that is I, taken to be true. Like, essentially, I think that he's talking about like an unknowability of like we are humans are creating the systems with which we define and create the rules of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they cannot define like the absolute truth right. in their own right. It's like, like you can't ob- objectify subjective consciousness, which is weird right. because subjective consciousness is the only thing that we actually can yeah. be certain about. <laughs> yeah. And and also like our the rules with which we create, um, you know, like physics and mathematics, 
are not innately divine. Mm-hmm. They're they're human. Mm-hmm. They're the systems of measurement and and um, you know of lawmaking are created by man. Mm-hmm. So they can't they can't define the ultimate end goal of truth mm-hmm. within their own system. You know. Yeah, I do. It's a you know a rock is a whole rock, but it's only a shard. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I did. You know, I was on. I was literally standing on a break wall, like a seawall, enjoying the sunset, looking down on these rocks, and I like had that thought, and I was like, I don't know exactly what that means yet, but I should hold on to that because there's a chance that's the single smartest thing I've ever had. Like thought. One day I'm gonna figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just gonna repeat it on this podcast until someone <laughs> affirms that it's smart. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so that's kind of his thing, but that's not what we're really talking about. Okay. Okay, so he is um he is uh uh Austrian. Okay. You know, he, What's his time period? Nineteen oh six, born nineteen oh six. Oh, okay. So and then um he gets a pretty rough period of to be an Austrian. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in what is now the Czech Republic, but at, then was Austria-Hungary. So we're getting yep. into that. So in the 30s, um, uh, in 1933, when Adolf Hitler came into power and Nazi influence rose in Austria, um, he he lost his kind of like lecture university status. So he had to, uh, you know, he had to, get the fuck out of Europe as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But he 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 met Albert Einstein on a trip to the US and they became friends. So in 1938 uh uh after the annexation of Austria Germany abolished like the his work title, the Privatdozent, which was just like the lecture, you know, title. Mm-hmm. So he had to apply for a different position but his former association with jewish jewish members of the vienna circle weighed against him and the university of vienna turned his application down so he had to leave oh his predicament intensified when german when the german army found him fit for conscription Mm -hmm. Uh, so before the before 1930 was over girdle and his wife left vienna for princeton um new jersey but to avoid the difficulty of an atlantic crossing the Girdles took the Trans-Siberian Railway to the Pacific. They went Whoa. the long way. Sailed yeah. from Japan to San Francisco. Um, so they left in September-ish. Got there in March. And then they crossed the U.S. by train to Princeton. Um, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just the entirety. You just really just took the entirety of Earth. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to one thing too. Imagine being such a good philosopher of logistics mm-hmm. that someone compares you to Aristotle, mm-hmm. and then to have some group of just like fucking cackling jackbooted mm-hmm. thugs say, "Oh yeah, you're fit, fit to go to war. Yeah, you're fit for conscription. Yeah, it's like go you can hold a gun. Fuck yourself." Go fuck yourself. Yeah, it's like, like I can shoot a gun. I can. I also figured out. <laughs> I, 
I'm the smartest guy since Aristotle. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so you can shoot a gun, I assume. (laughs) Yeah, I would hope that you can shoot a gun then, smarty pants. Yeah. Um, Okay, now this is where it gets fun. This is the main part here. On December 5th, 1947, uh, Einstein and economist Oscar Morgenstern, who was another who became friends with him accompanied girdle to his u.s citizenship exam where they acted as witnesses girdle had confided in them that he had discovered an inconsistency in the u.s constitution that could allow the u.s to become a dictatorship this has since been dubbed the girdle loophole Wait, what? We are moving to Girdle's Loophole page. Alright. So, Girdle's Loophole is an inner contradiction in the Constitution of the United States, which Kurt Girdle obviously claimed to have discovered in 1947. The flaw would have allowed the American democracy to be legally turned into a dictatorship. Girdle told his friend Oscar Morgenstern about the existence of the flaw, and Morgenstern told Albert Einstein about it at the time, but Morgenstern, in his recollection of the incident, never mentioned the exact problem as Gödel saw it. Um, this has led to speculation about the precise nature of what has come to be called Gödel's loophole. It has been called one of the great unsolved problems of constitutional law. Like, people don't know what his Pe- issue is. Like- so people don't know what it is, too because so when when girdle like sat einstein and um morgan turned down and like talked to him about it and in the beginning they einstein and them they're just like no i don't think so like you must have interpreted something wrong the more they talked about it like their tone about it just changed into don't don't bring this up at the exam don't bring this up at your citizenship test um and but like but to the point where, like, I think Einstein, like, died with that secret because he would rather people not figure it out. Whoa. Then, like, I think he doesn't trust the American populace enough to, like, actively try to change it as opposed to just, like, well, slide yeah, into I mean, it all, happening. All three of these guys are, like, Austrian or German yeah. by birth, right? Yeah. Like, they're, like... People are bad. Like this don't, is 1947. Don't any, yeah, don't give anybody an inch. Very right? fresh. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. This guy sounds so interesting. Yeah, um, very interesting. Okay, so then when the date, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, oh yeah, Morgenstern had a number of discussions with Gödel about his concerns and also told Einstein about them. Um, when the date of the examination came, some some months later. Gödel was being driven to the courthouse in Trenton, New Jersey, by Morgenstern and Einstein. Um, both had already taken the test and became naturalized U.S. citizens. At one point during the drive, they're literally in the car. Einstein in the front seat turned to Gödel's and Gödel in the back and asked, knowing about Gödel's concerns, "Now, Gödel, are you really well prepared for this examination?" According to Morgenstern. Einstein's purpose in asking this was to rattle Gödel, whose reaction amused him. Uh, at the courthouse, witnesses would normally remain outside of the room, but because Einstein, a celebrity, was involved, and because the judge, Philip Foreman, had administered the oath of citizenship to Einstein, 
all three men were invited in. In the course of the examination, Foreman asked Gertel what the government of Austria was, to which he replied, It was a republic, but the constitution was such that it finally was changed into a dictatorship. So he's like trying to hint he's, at he's, it. Yeah. And then the judge commented that this could not happen in the U.S. And Gertel responded, oh, yes, I can prove it. But the judge declined to pursue the matter. Wow. So this is one of those things where it's just like, I believe that he found an actual loophole that has not yet been fixed. Because Albert Einstein was like, don't want to touch it. Don't touch it. Don't talk about this one. Yeah. Oh man! Not worth it. Oh, that's so great. There should be a um, a sitcom about these three. Yeah, like they're... Sounds fun. The car ride conversation must have been so funny, just like silent. Right. Don't bring it's it up. It's so interesting. <laughs> I, it also is like um, weird. I don't know. Like, what weird energy? must have been there between those three like mm-hmm. thinkers you know mm-hmm. like just like so einstein and this guy who's compared to aristotle like i i, I don't know it's just crazy to me i mean it's it's crazy to like they all did so much but then at the same time it's like never enough Right. You know, it's like Einstein developed the theory of relativity. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, these great figures come along and they can't solve everything. No. You know, and they're not, no one's capable of, you know, obviously big contributions. Like, don't get me wrong. Right. But at the same time, it's just like crazy. And like those guys are the ones that are like the most like recognizant of the fact that like, like, oh, this is what I think about how things work, but we physically are unable to measure it, so someone in the future will right. have to fucking know or not. And I just have to leave it at that. <laughs> right. Like, I'm smart enough to figure it out, but we're, we collectively are not smart enough to measure it or whatever, so. Yeah. Uh, that's... A- do you have a, a much more? Because no. this is kind of a nice transition. That's uh, about it, yeah. It's going to be, obviously, this is, uh, we're jumping forward a week, but mine actually does lead pretty well into uh, some of the stuff we've talked about just now. So, Oh, hell yeah. Well, uh, In particular, yeah. I was going to say, in, in, in the meantime, in I guess we'll end this app. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, part one of two in, in ways. Yeah, the end on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Just know that um, you know there might be some through lines of uh, of information going forward in the next week. Yeah. Um, but thank you all for coming out listening. Uh, this was a good one. It was a it was a an informative ep- episode. Maybe it wasn't the wildest episode no. we've ever had, but that's okay. I think you everyone can walk away having learned something. I kind of a little love, bit more worldly. I kind of love how quickly we went from the like guess what there's a possibility that dictatorships and fascism can legally be uh you know undertaken through our constitution in the US and we'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
if there is a next <laughs> week. Um, but truly, thank you, folks, uh, for listening. Uh, you've been listening to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on social media, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also email us about anything at Hegelian Friendship Simulator at gmail.com. Yeah, thank you. Love you. Bye.